We definitely do have a, a problem with the, the stigmas in the fire service. It's okay to not be okay. It, it's part of the job, things that, that are going to affect us, and everybody's different. What affects me might not affect you and vice versa. Los Angeles, this is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Code 3 features interviews with leading members of the fire service, discussing firefighting strategy, tactics, and other topics you need to know more about. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me for another edition of Code 3. You are listening to the show for and about firefighters. Let's get started. 20 years ago, it was a big no-no for a firefighter to admit to having anything like post-traumatic stress. Of course, it's still stigmatized in many firehouses, and that is a problem. PTSD can affect anyone, even the toughest firefighter. It doesn't take being part of a line-of-duty death or even a near-miss to cause it, and it can turn a dream career into a long-term nightmare. Suicides driven by trauma now take more firefighter lives than line-of-duty deaths each year. But there are solutions. If you have PTSD and you'll ask for help, it can be dealt with. With me today is Captain Chris Moore of the Chesapeake, Virginia Fire Department. He's been a firefighter for 27 years. Chris has experienced the darkness of PTSD and recovered from it. Now he works to help others through his department's peer support and behavioral health team. And Chris Moore joins me now. Welcome to Code 3. Hey Scott, how are you today, sir? Doing well, thanks, and thank you for being with me. Thank you for having me. PTSD is often the result of repeated trauma. What was the final straw, so to speak, for you? The final straw for me that really put me over the edge was January of 2017. I actually ran a cardiac arrest of a uh, pediatric, and it didn't turn out to the way we always hoped they would turn out. Shortly after that, for some reason, that started opening up Pandora's box for me. And uh, I was just having nightmares and vivid flashbacks of calls that I never even thought twice about. Calls from 12, 13, 14 years ago that, like I said, I never even knew that they were, were there. And I just started sinking down into a, a, a dark place because I didn't know what was going on with myself at, at the time, why I was having these experiences and feeling so down. And I was pulling away from a lot of my peers, my family, my friends, and just isolating myself. I just, it was that one call there that really is what filled my bucket up. If you look at our, our heads are all like buckets uh, filled up with water and each call is a little bit of water going into the bucket. That was my turning point right there. That bucket just got filled up and everything just started overflowing, coming out. You didn't really know what the problem was at first. How long did it take for you to figure it out or be diagnosed that you had PTSD? I was suffering with this for um, at least four months when uh, a leader in our department who's known me throughout my entire career 
it was it was our fire chief. He recognized something wasn't right with with me, and he has a a good grasp of our department. He has a, his fingers on the pulse of all of the members, and really does a great job with that. Well, he noticed something was wrong. A day later, I got a phone call from his secretary that he wanted to uh, meet me for lunch. I was just feeling down and in the dumps. And on my day off, I had nothing going on. But but you don't turn down your chief. Yeah, I turned him down. And uh, that's something you just don't do. I got off the phone and uh, I called my wife up who knew something was going on but didn't know what. And I just told her I think I committed career suicide. <laughs> I was like, yeah, the fire chief just asked me to go to lunch with them to discuss a few things. And I said no. So my wife was very generous to me and she uh, gave me a swift kick in the butt and told me that I needed to uh, get back on the phone and tell them that I rearranged my schedule and I can make it. And I'm very fortunate I did that. The fire chief, he, he let me speak human to human instead of uh, chief to firefighter. He really gave me a lot of great wisdom. Uh, let me know that I'm not the Lone Ranger and there's so many people out there that, that we put on this smile on our face every day and We see our peers and we ask them, hey, how you doing today, brother? And stuff like that. And people just smile and say, yeah, we're doing okay." And I I was one of those persons for those four months. I was thought I was doing a good job of of hiding it, which I I really was. But like I said, he has such a good finger on the pulse of the department. He noticed something was wrong. What did he notice? What could he see in you that had changed? I just it was just kind of the withdrawing. I wasn't as happy and go lucky anymore. It was like I was. uh I was forcing a lot of stuff, was kind of not uh, as active of a member within the department as I once was from, and and that was from me just pulling back, pulling away from, from people. And I actually, for one time in my my life, I thought about leaving the, uh, the calling, the profession, the only thing that I've ever known, leaving the, the fire service, which is to me is the greatest job. Actually, it's not a job. It's the greatest career in the world in my eyes. And uh, I was considering leaving the the fire service. So how did this affect your daily work? You say you tried to hide it, but I assume it actually affected how you dealt with runs. It did. I was having, and I I still do to this day, I have uh, issues with anxiety on uh, daily runs. Uh, Obviously, and I, I know there's not a single person out there I would be willing to bet that nobody likes any kind of cardiac arrest calls, especially pediatrics. Uh, when I get calls like that, my anxiety spikes through the roof. Some of the other calls that had come back to haunt me, anything that's associated with those particular calls really spikes my anxiety as well. I have been fortunate through the fire chief working with me and taking me to lunch and just going over some things, being a mentor. I did uh, reach out and I got help through professional therapy. That's really probably one of the key things right there is getting the professional help and knowing that there's there's no issue. It's okay to not be okay. It's part of the job, things that, that are going to affect us and everybody's different. What affects me might not affect you and vice versa. Let's take a short break from the interview so I can ask you if you've seen all the Code 3 merch you can order. It's t-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, and more stuff, all with the full-color Code 3 logo. Wear one and tell the world that you support the podcast that has your back. Just go to Code3Podcast.com store and get your Code 3 apparel right now. 
why is it that you felt the need to hide it when you got back to the job for that four months? Why did you wait until the chief wanted to talk to you to try to find some help? I was ashamed, and we have... I'm finding more and more out now. It's not just in the the first responder community, but also uh, I live in a big military town and speaking to a lot of friends uh, that are in the military and my counselor and then other first responders. We have such a a bad stigma surrounding behavioral health in the fire service, the first responder community and the military. People think that it's perceived as a weakness. And that's really um, how I was feeling. We think, and actually, I don't even want to say we, I want to say I think, like to think that I have a big S on my chest. Look at myself as a Superman. I'm a a provider for my family. I'm a a hero to my my son and to my wife. And uh, I didn't want to do anything to jeopardize that in the, the eyes of my family, my friends, my peers, that I feel I have some peers that look up to me. And I just didn't want people to think that it was a sign of weakness. Was the stigma bigger in your mind or in the minds of people in the firehouse with you? I think it's probably, well, definitely it's more so in my mind, I think. It definitely is. And I don't know if I want to use the word if it's proper or not to say a problem. But we definitely do have a problem with the stigmas in the fire service where um, if we ask for help, it's a weakness. And we just need to change the culture of that. And one of the ways we need, we need to look at behavioral health as a, uh, an injury, it's no different than if somebody sprains their ankle or twists their knee or their back or something, that's an injury. Only thing is that can be seen, whereas you can't see anything that's going wrong in somebody's mind. I've been doing a lot of studying and a lot of research on the behavioral health aspect of it. And uh, it's just a cumulative effect. Usually in a lifetime of a, a normal citizen, they, they'll see anywhere from one to maybe five traumas in their lifetime. And in the fire service... You'll see that in one shift. Exactly. We could see that in one shift. And when that just keeps building up and building up, if we go back to that bucket I was talking about just a little while ago, our heads just overflow if we don't have some, some means, some healthy means of decompressing. And I never had a means of decompressing in uh, 27 years in the fire service. I would go to work, be gone for 24 hours at a time, and I'd come home. And my wife would ask me how my shift was as she's going out the door to work. And I would just say, oh, it was fine, or it was the norm. But I never unloaded any of the stressors that I had. Why, Why didn't you unload any of those? Did you think she didn't want to know, or did you think she shouldn't know? I felt a little of both there, and the reason being... Like I said earlier, I I felt like I had that big S on my chest. So when I had a bad call, I didn't want to let her know that I actually was human. And I hurt like everybody else. I didn't didn't want her to know that. That was the worst thing that I ever could have done was uh, not use my family. uh, Because that's the the best support system that I'm finding out that that I could have ever had is coming home. And I, I, I do that now on a daily basis. I come home and I decompress with my wife and tell her when I've had a bad call, tell her when I've had a bad shift, and tell her the good calls, too. Before that day that the straw broke the camel's back, had you ever thought about PTSD as something that other guys have, and how did you feel about it? I had thought about it, 
I didn't think about it uh, affecting me. Right. I know. And one of the reasons why I, I, I didn't think so much um, of it for myself was I've never been, I felt guilty because I've never been, I say I felt guilty, but I'm also very fortunate with this, that I've never been involved in a line of duty death. I've never been involved in a near miss in the fire service, nor have I ever been in the military. So I wasn't super familiar with PTSD. And then when that straw broke the camel's back, I really didn't know what the hell was going on. So what you're saying then is that the way that you felt was that maybe you could have PTSD if your captain was killed at a fire, but if if it was just building up over time, it's not the same thing. It's less valid. Yes, sir. And I didn't understand the the cumulative effect of it now, how little calls build and build and build into big things. And I never understood that until just recently. Once it started to affect you, how did you deal with it before you started getting professional help? I'm not proud of it, but I would come home from work. And uh, like I said, my wife would be walking out the door as I'm walking in. We have a son. I'd get him off to school and Eight o'clock in the morning, I was uh, reaching for alcohol. That was one of my vices was alcohol. And uh, I wasn't drinking to get drunk. I was drinking to ease the pain of these nightmares and these these flashbacks that I was having uh, just to try and calm my nerves and settle myself down. And I would drink throughout most of the day. I was functioning. I never drank leading up to work or on a work day or anything like that. But on my days off, I would do it. And I thought I was hiding it very well from my family, which come to find out I, I really wasn't. So your family knew and your chief knew. How did your coworkers at the firehouse feel? Did they think something was going on or did you actually hide it from them? I hid it from them. And I'm sure there's a lot of them that, that hide stuff very similar experiences like I have that, that are hiding it from me and the rest of our peers as well. It's still just that that stigma where we just we try and try and turn. And that's the the purpose of my doing this podcast with you is to try and end this stigma and let people know that, hey, we can speak out together. We can we can win this and nobody fights alone. We got to put an end to um, all the firefighter and first responder suicides that we're having every year. What did you do to get help? Did you use EMDR or another technique? Actually using uh, EMDR. That's worked for you? Yes, sir. It has been working for me. I've go to counseling once a week, every week, and I've uh, been doing EMDR and just basic therapy. And I have been uh, making extraordinary strides. Are you cured now or will you ever be cured? I hear different things about it. Things that I read say that there is no real true cure. And then I hear other uh, doctors and read reports that they're you can be cured. I look at it as, as a journey each day is some days are more of a struggle than, than others, but uh, I'm climbing out of this dark hole, this, this abyss right now. I I think I've, I've made great strides and to me being cured is doing what I'm doing right now with you is spreading the word that there is some hope out there and there's resources that we can utilize. And if you utilize those resources, you can live a normal and productive life. Do you feel like what you've done in terms of accepting this and getting treatment can be an example to other guys? I'm roaring like a lion with this right now. 
I want to be an advocate for first responder behavioral health and uh, be more and more active within the, uh, the first responder community when it comes to behavioral health. Do you work with guys now who you know could probably use some help if they would just step up and admit it? Absolutely. I mean, there's there's so many of us. Like I said, you, you look at somebody and people we see in the stations and uh, in the hallways and we see them in passing and we just ask them how they're doing. And like I said, we're trained. We put our, our best foot forward and always have a smile on our face. But if only you knew what's going on on the other side of that smile sometimes. And I know there's a lot of other guys out there like myself that are that are hurting and going through a lot. And I just want them to know that it's it's OK. They're not alone. I've actually taken on a role in my department's uh, peer support team. I I just find a a lot of comfort in sharing my experience to one day help somebody else. Well, it sounds like you're a good example. Do they ever come to you and say, how does this work? Do I really need help? I've had that one time so far since all this kind of really began that was after somebody kind of found out about what's going on with me. They, they felt comfortable enough to come to me now and, and talk to me and find out exactly what you said. How does this work? What can I do? It felt good that I had some answers for the person. Uh, I've had several people reach out to me since my article was published and I uh, had my email address on there and I uh, received some emails of encouragement and uh, questioning about what they can do as well to, uh, to help themselves out and help their their personal lives out throughout the their fire careers, that really brings me a lot of uh, pleasure and, and a feeling of compassion to help somebody out like that. All right, Chris Moore, thanks for telling us your story on Code Three today. Thank you very much for having me, Scott. It was a pleasure. By now, I think you'll understand. Chris is no snowflake. If he can be affected by trauma, anyone can. Even you. If you've experienced PTSD, especially if you found your way through it, I'd like to hear from you. You can leave your comments on our website at code3podcast.com slash PTSD support. All one word, PTSD support. There's links to more resources there as well. Or if you're willing, I'd love to put you on a future show. Call me at 562-337-9902 and leave me a voicemail about your experience. 562-337-9902. I'll play it on air if you give me permission. And you don't have to identify yourself. Alright, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more and I hope you'll join me. I'm Scott Orr and until then... Stay safe. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.